Party on, Todd. Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Party on Johncast. I am Reverend Sal Samarco. I am a ordained minister of Word and Sacrament in the Presbytery of Newton, uh, ordained to healthcare chaplaincy in the town of Newton. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I am uh, Todd. I am uh, or I am uh, I am an ordained elder in the Greater New Jersey Conference of the United Methodist Church. Uh, I serve a congregation right here in the county seat on higher ground from Sal in the town of Newton. And that is the only higher ground that I give him, <laughs> barring what God decides. True, because you're. Yeah. You know that may have been preordained. <laughs> that may have been preordained. That's right. Um, so we're going to enter into our he brews segment. He brews. Except he's not brewing coffee he's today. He's not brewing coffee today. How do you know that God loves beer? How? Because he wrote about it in the book of Hebrews. But <laughs> um. Yeah, so what are you drinking there, Sal? So it today, delicious. It is delicious. Today we're actually drinking adult beverages. Uh, I'm drinking Kona Pipeline Porter. Ooh. Put out by the uh, Kona Brewing Company. Uh, it actually has their own specially roasted coffee Ooh. in it. And it's got very much got that porter coffee taste to it. I'm not going to lie, I sampled some. Yeah, it's and very it's good. It's really, really good. Um, cool. Especially if you're into like a dark like um, porter Dark. type. It's kind of a... Uh, porters and stouts are kind of close in how they're brewed. So, like, if you know Guinness, it's sort of like a Guinness, but not as heavy, uh, but just as dark and malty. Yeah, yeah, and uh, definitely can taste the coffee, yeah. the Kona coffee. Um, what are you drinking, Todd? Oh, my goodness. So, I guess uh, he didn't brew for me. He distilled. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, ever the Wesleyan, right? Mm-hmm. Um those Not. fine spirits. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah, those spiritus liquors. Uh, so I'm having the Barrel House Manhattan, which is a uh, Manhattan specially made here at the Barrel House, which, by the way, that is where we are recording today inside. Shout out to the Barrel House. Shout out to the Barrel House, to Becky, to Jamie, to Brad, wherever Brad is, Rita, um, and uh, we can't forget uh, Brooke. Or Taylor in that either, because they're all rocking. So we're here at the uh, Barrel House, and uh, I'm having a Barrel House Manhattan, which I'm not exactly sure what they put into the specific Manhattan, aside from they do use 1776 straight uh, rye whiskey. Um, That's from uh, James E. Pepper. Uh, and it is their their bourbons are superior. They really are really, really good, and uh, their rye whiskey is awesome as well, as I am. Tasting now. Tasting away. And it's got a beautiful cherry right Mm. there at the bottom uh, waiting for me. So. It does look good. So, yes, for those of you who live locally to the Newton area, come out to the Barrel House. Becky and crew are awesome. And uh, it's a real chill atmosphere and fun. Tell them that the party on John Cast sent you, uh, Todd and Sal, or just come enjoy it. And if you hear the ambiance in the background, that is the ambience of a we are in a bar restaurant our restaurant yeah yeah so so uh if you hear things moving around or talking or things like that or music yes, yes. uh you can never go wrong with music no. so um so yeah that's that's where we are it's kind of cool to get out of an office and do this out in out the community in the community 
That is right. So I think, um, is that it for Hebrews? That is it for Hebrews or he... Now, Sal, how do you know that God loves distilled liquor? How? Because he distilled it. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. That's not in the book of Hebrews. That's in one of the Gnostic Gnostic Gospels. That's right. It's in the the Apocrypha? It's in the Apocrypha. Yeah, it's not Gnostic. It's in the Apocrypha. Though I guess it could be Gnostic. Yeah. Was that part of the the wedding at Cana? (laughs) That that was the one, yeah. There's something different about this wine. That was um, good wine. So, so. <laughs> I guess that moves us to our most excellent, excellent metal, metal segment. segment. Excellent metal and or music segment. And or music segment, right. I think today both of us do have metal. We do. Um, I've actually got more than metal. i got two recommendations, but what I've been listening to lately is um, he's on YouTube. Uh, his name is Leo Maracoli, I think is how you say his last mm. name. Mm. Uh, so if you just go to YouTube and look up uh, Leo Covers, he... Uh, he, he's from Norway, and he does heavy metal covers of a whole spectrum of music from uh, Africa by Toto. He does an awesome rendition of uh, Eye of the Tiger, mm. Final Countdown. Adele, right? That's, Adele, yeah. Hello. I mean, actually, actually, his cover of Adele, uh, Hello, is pretty freaking awesome and pretty moving. Yeah. Um, so check him out, Leo. He's got like over 20 albums on U- on iTunes of covers, metal covers. Um, the other, so that's been on repeat a lot for me, and then also has been on repeat since last Sunday. Is the soundtrack to A Star Is Born? Oh yes, so, that's heavy metal in a different sense. In a different sense. Yeah. Uh, Todd actually recommended that movie to me, and I went and saw it and. Uh, let me just say, we both agreed it connects to you on so many different levels, especially mm. if you've had your own struggles with uh, depression, depression, alcohol, uh, life. Uh, and yet, it reaffirmed uh, my wife and I's relationship. Yes, isn't that isn't that kind of neat how that works? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you see, basically, what you ha- what you get in a Star Is Born is. Uh, a real look at what it means to be human. Yes. Um, yeah. For all its bumps and bruises, but all its also <clears throat> joys and pleasures. Yeah. So uh, Bradley Cooper, surprisingly, is a really talented singer. <laughs> yes, um, he is. <laughs> um, who knew? Who knew? And uh, if I even have to say that Lady Gaga is immensely talented, well, guess what, guys? She is. She is. Yeah, it's um, hard to say who, who. Who I think they both stole the show. They both they stole really the both show. Did. They yeah. did. But there's a song on the album called "Shallow," um, <laughs> basically about their relationship jumping into the 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 deep end of the relationship. Yes. And uh, when she sings it, both in the movie and on the soundtrack, uh, just her voice will uh, will penetrate your soul. Right. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So. Um, so yeah. what's your what's your music, Don? Hmm? Um, my music is from Megadeth, because uh, you know Megadeth. <laughs> um, I'm going with a classic Megadeth song, uh, "Symphony uh, of Destruction," because I find this song every time I listen to it, it's like O M 
gee, this is prophetic. Like, this is, this is, okay, so I'm going to read some of the lyrics here, all right? And, um, you know what? I'm going to read all of the lyrics because it's not that long, Mm -hmm. but it speaks to today. Um, You take a mortal man and put him in control. Watch him become a god, small, small case. Small G. Yeah. Watch him become a god. Watch people's heads a roll. Just like the Pied Piper led rats through the streets, we dance like marionettes swaying to the symphony of destruction. Acting like a robot, its metal brain corrodes. You try to, sh- you try to take its pulse before the head explodes. Um, then it goes back into the chorus. Then it says, The earth starts to rumble, world powers fall. A warring for the heavens, a peaceful man stands tall. Mm. Now, this is this is from Megadeth, right? Like, but the theology there. I mean, you're talking about world power mm-hmm. versus Christ. Yep. World power versus God. And I think this was written before Dave Mustaine became at least a reborn again Christian. Right. Yeah. It's, it, I think it is. But he totally understood. He understood that there is the worldly power, which tends to seek out more power, uh, domination, oppression. And ultimately just keeps failing. And keeps failing uh, and, and killing people along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is, that's juxtaposed to Christ, who was oppressed, who was beaten, who suffered under the corrupt government and was, you know, he executed capital punishment uh, for being a traitor to the Roman Empire and to uh, uh, his uh, the relig- religious establishment of his day. Uh, and he's the one at the end standing tall. Um, and and, and that, that, that kind of power will win over the worldly power. Yep. Uh, it's just so prophetic. And, I mean, I don't need to go into politics to uh, state... The, the pretty, significance, pretty obvious. The significance yeah. in today's politics. Yeah, today's sure. politics. We we definitely have the worldly man, mm-hmm. uh, and we and and that is in complete opposition to who Jesus Christ is. Complete. And yet his followers lift up that person. <laughs> yes, they do. So here, here to so here's uh, to uh, awesome Megadeth. Here's to Megadeth. So rock on. We'll, of course, as always, post, um, post links, links in the, um, the notes. So I guess that covers it for our most excellent metal segment. It is. And we're going to move on to a new segment. And actually, this is going to be, I think, the dominating topic of the show today. But, but we will be adding this segment in, in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. So this segment is entitled Shithouse Theology. Yes, Shit. Yes, shit house theology. You heard it right. So, why shit house theology? Well, have you ever heard of the phrase shit house poets? They're shit house poets are is a kind of a somewhat flowery <laughs> way of describing somebody who goes into the bathroom and draws on the walls mm-hmm. or writes on the walls. You know, want a good time? Call eight hundred. You know, eight hundred. Blah blah blah. Or want a good time? Call Sal. Yes. You know that that type of thing. Uh, so, you know, you go in there, you read it, you get disgusted, and it, it's kind of fitting for a shithouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a shithouse theology segment, um, which is basically the same thing. It's you, you go into the Internet or into a church or into other places, and you hear shitty theology. Yeah. 
And so we're going to call out shitty theology. Yes, with the <clears throat> the invent of Facebook and Twitter and Insta. Yes. Instagram for you older millennials. And so if you're offended by the word shit, we're really sorry if, about if that. If you're insulted by the <laughs> word shit, you can... <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, my, I, my nickname is the uh, Sailor Chaplain, by the way. <laughs> well, that's all in the name of Jesus. And of course. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, but I was, I was going to put it a little nicer because I'm a nicer guy, I guess, than Sal sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. If all in good fun. It's <laughs> all in good fun, right? But if you, are, um, if you are offended by the word shit, that's kind of shitty when you're listening to this segment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, in, in, all, in all seriousness, uh, Todd and I do not use this language loosely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that in certain contexts that language has power and meaning. Um, so now, would we necessarily preach or do pastoral care with this language? Of course not, but... I think we both have found times where it's necessary to identify identify the power of language and to use language. So Absolutely. If we have to call something shitty, we call it shitty. And uh, this theology we're going to discuss today is pretty shitty. So, um, and and you're you're you can't find well you probably can, but but we're pretty open guys. Uh, our theology is very open, um, mm-hmm. but. Being open isn't doesn't give us a free pass right. in theology, and so I stumbled upon something. I think I was the one that stumbled upon it, right? That's the uh, Jesus was. Yeah, I sent it to you. You sent it to me. That's right. Sal sent it to me. Sal stumbled upon mm-hmm. it and sent it to me. And and, and the <laughs> so here's the meme. It says Jesus was a gender transgressor, transgressor. which is like okay. First off. What a jet? What? what? Okay. <laughs> right? Like, what's that? So, um, <coughs> the the sentiment behind. I get the sentiment behind it. We totally understand the sentiment behind it, and the way that it was explained when someone someone under the, uh, the page that posted the meme, someone did say um, exactly what Todd said. Uh, wait, what is it? What? <laughs> Please tell me what that means. Right. So, what that basically means is that yeah. You know, they're trying to point to the fact that Jesus crossed barriers. Mm-hmm. He crossed boundaries and he didn't necessarily do what the status quo said you ought to do. And in that sense, yeah, I, I get it. You know, that was, that was totally Jesus in a nutshell, but uh, what a gender transgressor is in our day, in our context is somebody who, you know, who doesn't fit into the gender norms of the day. So, so like, you know, gender norms in our day and age are male, female, um, gender transgressor in that context means, well, I'm, uh, I was born anatomically a male, but I kind of identify, identify as a female or I'm gender fluid Yes. or I'm, uh, you know, uh, gender curious or whatever you want to, whatever you want to, you know, identify (laughs) as. The problem with saying that Jesus was a gender transgressor is that historically he was he not. was not <laughs> right, and that's not bad nor good or, or or good. It's just a fact. Jesus did not he didn't talk about that. He didn't talk about homosexuality. He didn't talk about any any of the twenty first century things Gen- that we like to to discuss. <clears throat> he today. did not approach twenty first gender. Uh, 
identity issues. Um, he did fully cross boundaries in terms of the norm of the day of what was considered right, right and proper for male and female. Yeah, like Jesus had no problem talking to a Samaritan woman by herself at the well, which in his day would have been totally taboo. Mm-hmm. And yes, he, he was a boundary... Boundary pusher. He was a boundary transgressor. I would be willing to say he's a boundary transgressor. And today, we can then say because Jesus was a boundary transgressor, we can be a boundary transgressor and, and be inclusive of people who are gender fluid or who mm-hmm. may not identify the way we identify. And that would be completely awesome theology. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I, I operate by that theology. Yes, as do I. But when you say that Jesus was something that he was, was not, not. Uh, it confuses. It just throws, it muddies the water and confuses people. It does. Um, and then you'll get people on the other side going, no, he wasn't. So you guys are just writing your own stuff, you know? And, and like, it hurts the cause more than it helps the cause, I helps. think. Um, and one of the responses, well, Jesus didn't have the internet, but here we are. Yeah, no, yeah, it's apples to oranges. You yeah. can't compare first century Palestine to 21st century northern New Jersey. You know, con- context matters. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, context context absolutely matters. So, how do we know Jesus was not a gender transgressor? Let's start there and then work our way outward. So, that's a good question, I'm thinking. Yeah, so we know that in Scripture, Jesus identified with himself as God's son. son. Uh, And he identified with God, his Abba, father. His father, right. So, in that sense, he did stick to gender norms. Yeah. um, And to be fair... They didn't know otherwise in that day and age. There was no concept of gender fluid or gender, you know. Uh, yes, there was homosexuality. Yes, I'm sure there were people who identified that way, but they just didn't label it that. Mm-hmm. They just, they didn't label it. And in the Jewish context, it was it was a taboo, so no one even spoke of it. Right. Um, so that is, you know, ultimately just inaccurate to say. And and what it what it does for me... Um, is it, it, it opens up room for the other side to validly critique progressive thought because I don't even like you, by the way, I don't even like using the label conservative or progressive or liberal or, you know, like I can be conservative on some things and liberal on other things. I, I'm, uh, I'm label fluid. <laughs> yes. I'm a label transgressor, but, but, but Honestly, what it does is people who who are more conservative have then a valid, legit argument against people who are not because it seems like we're just rewriting history and and changing the Bible to say what we want it to say, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, liberal people will say about conservatives on the flip side. So it, it does not help. I don't think it helps the cause at all. It does not. Um and it's and that's this is this is an issue that goes back um, this is not just a 21st century issue no. in terms of using scripture for one side or the other uh, we had a in America we fought a war in the 1860s over an issue that Christians on both sides 
mm-hmm. either defended or or decried slavery. Um, prohibition was an issue that was had basis in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, scripture is. I guess it also should, we should talk about how you view scripture. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, as inherent or uh, infallible or inerrant. Or inspired. Or inspired. Which um, I would say that somebody who is a fundamentalist who views it as inerrant and infallible uh, will also view it as inspired. But somebody who views it as inspired may not see it as infallible or inerrant. So what, what does infallible or inerrant mean, Sal? So inerrant means without error. Uh, how it was written is how it was essentially dictated, transcribed uh, by humans through the Holy Spirit from God. Uh, infallible uh, is basically along the same line. Uh, without error, it's the, nothing... It cannot be wrong. Cannot be wrong. Right. Um, whereas inspired uh, is more along the lines of this is, this is what... The writers of the Gospels and the Old Testament were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down. Mm-hmm. So, if they were simply inspired, it can it leaves open room for okay, there could be some errors in there. There could be some errors, right? Um, so, <laughs> there is a more subtle form of inerrancy <laughs> or infallibility out there as well. So, there are the people that just say, "As it is in the King James Bible, is perfect without flaw." There's also a group of people that say, well, now the English translations can have flaws in them because that happens in translation, but the original texts in Greek and Hebrew, they're infallible because that's exactly what God wanted people to write down verbatim. Yeah, because God spoke Hebrew right. and Greek. Right. God spoke Hebrew and Greek, and, 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 you know, on the surface, okay, that, you know, like, <laughs> that seems like the typical biblical... Uh, tradition, like the Christian tradition uh, in interpreting scripture is that it is God's word, right? Like, and we, we use the language God's word. God's word. Uh, the, the, uh, this is the word of God for the people of God. You know, thanks be to God for this word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually rather a, a newer way of looking at the Bible. Uh, the ancient world didn't look at the Bible as infallible, which is why people get so up in arms in today's day and age about the inconsistencies in the Bible. Folks, the reason why there are inconsistencies inconsistencies in the Bible is because the ancients realized that one person's perspective is not enough to encompass God. And so they'd include it at all. Right. And that's why when you look at when people struggle with the canon, what we as Christians consider the canon, you know, well, why is this in the canon? This isn't in the canon. And what's the canon specifically? Now, the canon specifically is the 66 books of the Bible from... Genesis to Revelation. And it's untouchable. You can't add or take you away. You can't add or take away. This right. is what the church through history has decided uh, to be mm-hmm. God's word. Right. Uh, and it took, uh, took a couple councils for that to be solidified. Um, now, the church understood that the canon um, and the language around the canon needed to be consistent. So when they when they put the canon together, they had a criteria of, of 
Now, the language doesn't have to be necessarily verbatim, word for word, but how they chose what would be in the canon was, okay, well, we have five copies of this letter, and we have six copies of that letter, and then we have 15 copies in Alexandria. I think we, we would say, like, Q, there's letters yeah. and names for each set of scriptures. Yeah, we confuse things. We confuse things. <laughs> So basically, the the council what the councils did is they looked at all those collections of scriptures and said, okay, these five copies and these five copies are consistent enough that we can say yes, this is part of the canon. Now, something like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary, they can say no, we're not going to include that because yeah, there's a copy of it that is historically dated to that time period, but there's simply not enough copies to corroborate and say this is consistent enough to be what we think the writers would want to be in the canon. Right, right. Yeah. So that's how the canon was formed. Now, that also leads to sort of the question of, well, the original languages must have been right because that's the language they're written in. Mm -hmm. Well, if you look at the original languages, you know, if English has three or four meanings to a word, Greek and Hebrew have... Four, or five, four or five or six or seven or eight meanings for a word. And in fact, they actually have different words for the meanings. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, you know, in English, love is love. Now, love could mean like puppy love. It could mean I super duper like it. It could mean, oh, let's hook up tonight. Mm-hmm. It could mean a whole slew of different things. Uh, whereas in Greek or Hebrew, they're going to totally have uh, like a different word for each type of love. Like, uh, like agape love for divine love or eros for romantic love or, you know. Right, right. That kind yeah. of thing. So back to to the Bible. Initially, the... the the earliest Christians and the earliest, um, uh, uh, yeah, the earliest Christians and Jews didn't really look at the Bible as something that was inerrant. It looked at the Bible as uh, something that could be added to, um, and that's why we see two creation stories. That's why we see, um, that's why we see uh, different versions of the David story. That's why the Gospels, there's four different Gospels, each with their own slight, slightly and sometimes vastly different flavors, mm-hmm. because people didn't feel that you couldn't add to the Bible. In fact, people did add to the Bible. That's right. Why would somebody decide after Mark was written to, to write Matthew? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yep. And, the, and when you look at the Gospels specifically, um, scholars believe that Mark was the first... Gospel written. Yeah, followed um, by Matthew, then Matthew, Luke. Matthew, Luke, and then John. John is, of the four Gospels, is the most vastly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had enough, like we said, had enough consistency to say, yeah, this is close enough to the other accounts. But Matthew and Luke, for sure, they can tell, basically took Mark's Gospel, said, yeah, that's the basic story. Now here's our take on it. Right, right. And so that's what that's what really, like, is interesting about... Um, about about biblical history uh, and the compilation of the Bible. It's not as simple as the fundamentalists like to make it, nor is it as simple as Dan Brown makes it. Yes. Um, simplicity is uh, overrated when it comes to biblical history. But back to the, the idea of in- inerrancy, it's a newer way of looking at the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, uh, it, it downplays... It downplays 
the history behind what was written, and it downplays the humanity behind what and was the, written. And the intricacy. Right. Of what, and if you look, the fundamentalist movement is relatively, relatively, 200 years or so, 250 years or so, movement got its name because they wanted to return to the fundamentals of Scripture. Right. Um, yeah. But they didn't count the... 1800 years of history before that right they totally didn't no. and and here's here's in the in for the subtle fundamentalists the ones that say well you know the original greek or the original hebrew taking into account that translations inherently have error um the original hebrew and the original greek still have inconsistencies they still do like you still have jesus um you know the various different stories of Jesus. Like, for instance, in the Gospel of John, Jesus overturns the tables at the very beginning of the story, and he's in and out of Jerusalem, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he is never in Jerusalem until the very end of the story, and the tables don't get overturned until the end, and that is the catalyst for him getting arrested mm-hmm. and killed. So, so okay, the stories are all in there, but when did it happen? Mm-hmm. And does it square? And why would you include stories that don't chronologically, you know, but from a 21st per century perspective, why would you include stories that don't pair, that don't right. match up? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're God, inerrant, infallible God, why would you dictate incoherent, inconsistent stories? Unless God is bipolar. <laughs> God's got multiple, <laughs> multiple personality disorder. So... I think there's flaws all around, no matter how subtle you get with the inerrancy infallibility. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I would, what I would be willing to say is the heart, the core of the Bible. The, the scope and tenor, as a friend used to say. Yeah, the scope and tenor of the Bible is inerrant. And that is the, let's put it in one word, love. 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 Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. Love. love. You know, for the, all those who know or don't know God, or for all those who don't know love, don't know God because God is love. love. That's the heart of it. Now, all of the other things are the minute cultural details that get added in uh, to, to, you know, to paint the picture of love. And in today's day, some of that picture doesn't look very loving. <laughs> Right. <laughs> because we understand things differently. Um, that's not to say that everything in the Bible's cultural, um, but it's not to say that nothing in the Bible is. And when you look at the laws in particular in the Old Testament, not one of them was viewed as cultural. Right. Like none of them were no. viewed as cultural. They were the laws given to Moses by God. You you could say they were cultural in the in the sense that they were implied to set God's people apart from the culture. Correct. Yeah. Um, but they but it wasn't like some of these laws the Jews could opt to follow, and some of the laws right. had to be followed. You know <laughs> that that idea really didn't come around until uh, really Paul's teaching when Paul says if it causes you, you know, if you can eat meat. Without causing your brother to stumble, go. and in good conscience, go for it. Go for it. That's really that's a New Testament sort of idea, right? That that some of these laws don't necessarily have to be followed because right. it's the heart of it's the, the law heart that of the counts. law, which is right. love, love. So, um, so there is total room, I think, for 
seeing Jesus as calling us to transgress the cultural norms, the societal norms on gender. Mm-hmm. Perfectly, I think, legit for a Christian to come to that conclusion, interpreting how Jesus operated, the norms that he crossed and broke, um, and the norms you know, of our day, and, and what, where is the spirit leading? There, that is totally a valid thing to do. What's not valid is to say that Jesus crossed those norms back in the day when he didn't. Right. I think both Todd and I would be more than willing to say that the spirit of God's command to love your neighbor and to love God and to push boundaries in terms of status and norms and um, allows us both as pastors and clergy to be open and loving to our LGBTQ mm-hmm. friends, to our all friends from every walk of life. Uh, but we still hold each other to the standard of love and yeah. to the standard of scripture. Right. Um, we don't then conflate that to, uh, well, because of Jesus's willingness to push boundaries while well, he was queer or he was, <laughs> you know, a socialist or now I personally, I, in my twenties and early thirties, was a registered socialist because my view of scripture allowed me to say my understanding of Jesus's commands mm-hmm. aligned with my socialist beliefs. Right. That doesn't make Jesus a socialist. In fact, Jesus was not a socialist because socialism was not a thing. Not a thing. Um, in fact, it wasn't even Jesus who articulated any form of organized socialism. It was his earliest disciples, disciples. because they were in a situation where if they didn't share, they died. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it wasn't it wasn't government top down <laughs> dictation. Oh, yeah. They very much knew the understanding of community. Yeah, it was all about community. it was all about community, um, and that sort of thing can only work if it's organic. It cannot work. <clears throat> If it's governmentally enforced, um, uh, at least not in the spirit that the Christ- or earliest Christians uh, did it, um, you know. So, so yeah. So again, being honest to who Jesus was, you know. So there's some things about Jesus's day and age that don't sit well with our day and age. But lying about who Jesus is or making up stuff about who Jesus is to fit our day and age is dishonest and. And not really becoming of what a Christian ought to do, in my opinion. Because, and this is important, I think, because if we can't tell who Jesus truly was, and if we're not comfortable with who Jesus truly was, then we're really kind of worshiping a false god. That's right. The who Jesus was uh, transcends... And to be theologically correct, we'll say who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. (laughs) That's right. Not that we've been drinking alcohol. Uh, no. Who Jesus is uh, and who we profess him to be um, transcends. Now, it is boxed by culture and context and time. He mm-hmm. walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So for the folks that say, oh, that's ancient history, that's first century Palestine, that doesn't apply now. And the people say, well, it's 21st century, we have modern-day issues, let's push Jesus into those issues. It's not either-or, it's yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but. We know 
as long as we're proclaiming who Jesus is, Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. Yep. Son of God. <clears throat> that's primary. That, that is primary. That is primary. We you take can, that out. It's not Christianity. Um, if we say that Jesus is LGBT rights, Jesus is there in those rights and that fight for equality, but that is not Jesus. That, right, right, right. Jesus is Jesus. Nor is Jesus in the uh, pro-life. Nor right. is Jesus pro-life, per se. Per se. Um, I know that's going to be controversial, and some of you are going to be throwing rocks at the uh, speakers, but yep. Jesus... Again, that's taking Jesus and putting him into a 21st century issue. As a good Presbyterian, I'll say, you know, as Karl Barth says, Jesus is the answer. What's the question? <laughs> that's, 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 amen. amen. That's a good Cal. Bart, Bart is my favorite Calvinist, <laughs> I have to say. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, so I think um, without doubt... Uh, I think to take Jesus and to attribute stuff to him that is just not historically or biblically or theologically or Christologically accurate is disingenuous. It's it, and and it makes us follow a false a false god because mm-hmm. because what we're doing then is we're changing the Bible to suit our beliefs right. rather than shaping our beliefs around the Bible. The Bible. Um. I often, when I, I don't preach a lot, but when I do preach, I often get told by congregations that I'm very Christocentric, Christocentric. I preach a lot about Christ because, you know, my theology really has been cemented around Christ, would, as would be expected for a... How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've got him tattooed on my body. And I um, will soon. By the way, I'm getting a tattoo soon, and when I do, yay. I will post it. And I'm getting one soon, too, so we'll both post tattoos. Pick. Absolutely. But um, everything that I preach, and, uh, you know, I watch these these discussions online of, you know, how do you shape your sermon this week for this event that's going on or this thing that happened in the news? No, I'm going to preach Christ, and if that will, that'll all come out of my preaching Christ. Hmm. So... Is it Divine um, Providence that Shut Up and Dance with Me came on over the that radio? That is. That is. <laughs> but just sit and enjoy that. Or is that the alcohol talking? That, that might be the alcohol. <laughs> I will tell you that Todd is on his second. I'm on my first. So, Yeah. Um, good stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know if what I just said made sense, and that might be the alcohol talking. <laughs> no, it made sense. Okay. Um, so, I... I um, yeah, I think we really need to be cautious with these cliches and these, these like, uh, super trendy, you know, like, Jesus was X, Y, and Z, as if we can box Jesus in and make Jesus fit our mold. I think that's dangerous no matter which way you look at it. And, and nine times out of ten, I'm pushing back against more fundamentalist views, mm-hmm. but I have, I'm an equal opportunity push, pusher, pushbacker, um, because... I really think that that happens on both sides. We cherry pick what we want. We do, and, and uh, dismiss what we don't. There's a there's a cartoon that gets shared on Facebook a lot of, of of Jesus. There's a big box and there's a you know a big butt butt and feet sticking out of it, and Jesus is trying to push God into a box. <laughs> Another version I've seen is it's church members trying to push, push. God into a box. Yeah, you know we we do that, and um, that really limits and damages our. Uh, discipleship and our evangelism. Um, 
you know, Brennan Manning says that we our image of God is only as big as our own insecurities. Mm. Um, another brilliant man. Another brilliant man. I would say just to add to the, the to bring it back to the the biblical tr- interpretation. For me, it's not a problem that I look at gender, you know, gender issues and sexuality issues and these other issues in a more open way because I recognize that while, yes, at its core, the Bible is absolutely inerrant. And again, in those two greatest commandments, which Jesus said was the core, that it summed up all the law and all the prophets. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and uh, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Though that's the core, that is inerrant. That is an absolute truth. Outside of that, you see both God's will and God's um, divine touch on the Bible, but you also see human touch. And so I can look at some of these laws and say, yeah, the, this law, like thou shalt not murder, it's a pretty universal law. But thou shalt not lie man with man or woman with woman not necessarily a universal law Um, and especially in our understanding of what it means to be human and to be sexual beings in the 21st century with science to back it up we need to and psychology to back it up we need to start looking at these things differently and there's room to do so because that's the human side of the bible those were laws that made sense in that time but no longer do in ours no longer do it in ours, and it's... And it doesn't change the <clears throat> message of the gospel. Doesn't you, Dang it, Todd, you took the words out <laughs> of my mouth. <laughs> Sorry. It does not change the scope and tenor of the message of the Bible, which is... Um, love. Love. And love being manifest in Jesus Christ. Mm, mm. So, uh, maybe we'll title this, What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> What's Love Got, <laughs> got to, to do, do Got to Do With yeah. It? Yeah. Um... <laughs> So that Ooh, I just thought of a title. I'm not gonna say it. Or maybe I don't know. What's love got to do with it in the shit house of theology? <laughs> now we're getting poetic. Now we are. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that I think that sums up our conversation pretty pretty well. What I do you think? think? So. That's a pretty good talk. Pretty good talk. Pretty good talk. So uh, look more uh, for uh, Shithouse Theology because uh, we're constantly coming into contact. We with are. <laughs> the shit is flying. <laughs> and <clears throat> understand that I think uh, a lot of this Shithouse Theology that we come in contact with is not coming from a place of, I'm going to set out to proclaim heresy today, or I'm going to proclaim no, Shithouse. No, no, This is all... These are memes. These are catchy little phrases that are that are meant to remind folks that they are included in the community of believers. It comes from a good place. It comes from a good place. And God, God doesn't judge the words. No. I could say shit 450 times, and that does not mean I'm being judged for it by God. Mm-hmm. Um, what God judges is the heart. The heart. And and so if it's coming from a good heart, that's ultimately what counts. Um, but. It doesn't hurt to push back against theology that that isn't broad or wide enough to truly be God. Yep. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is uh, telling us that we will be known by our fruits. It's probably best summed up by the African, the Negro spiritual. They will know we are Christians by our love. Mm, yes. 
Yes. Um, a song that we rarely live up to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, when you ask most people, how do you know a Christian? <laughs> the last thing they say is, by their love. <laughs> <laughs> by it's their, sad, but it's true. By their intolerance. By, by their, their intolerance and ignorance and bigotry. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. Or by Donald. Oh, never mind. No. <laughs> I didn't say it. Oh, I'm craving Cheetos now. You're craving Cheetos? <laughs> nice. Yes, All that's right. a reference to our president. <laughs> Did I go there? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, on that note, um, I guess we can end by saying that you really, really, really ought to check out our podcast, the Party on John cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, par- and you can check it out at Party on John. Dot org, org. Or uh, now on iTunes, Google Play, and we're working on getting it on Spotify. Actually, I got an email that we're now on Spotify. We're now on Spotify. We are now on Spotify. They put us on Spotify quicker than they put my first. <laughs> po- what? Right? Five, five, five episodes. Listen up, Spotify. The discrimination has been notified. <laughs> noticed. <laughs> well, only kidding. Um, well, they, they figured they should let the Calvinists know before. I totally listening. peeked out the. Uh, oh. <laughs> so when you're listening to this, you might want to turn it down for that part, but you won't because you won't know it's coming until it happens. Yes. So with that said, uh, yeah, check us out on iTunes, on Google Play Music, on Spotify, Podbean. or on Podbean.com, uh, which you can get to by going to PartyOnJohn.org. Um, and if you're so inclined, you can go check out that other podcast I was talking about, the Life Giving Water uh, Messages uh, podcast, mm-hmm. which is at Life Giving Water MSG, not monosodium glutinate, but message. Life Giving Water MSG.org. So, with that said, uh, party on, Sal. Party on, Todd. Rock on. Rock on. See you next time. See you next time. And as Sal always says, Don't be a jerk. Amen. Amen.